With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Tuesday morning, our resort in the host chair as usual. First guest is on the phone right now, so we may as well get right to it. Dr. Jeff Payne, the president up at UNBC. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Alan. How are you? Not too bad in yourself, sir. I'm good, thanks. I suppose you're probably kind of happy, actually, as of, what was it, about a week, week and a half ago, you got the UNBC strategic plan out of the way for a few more years. We did indeed, yeah. We launched the process almost a year ago, back in in November of last year, and... uh, Yes, as of uh, last Thursday, we have officially uh, approved and launched UNBC's uh, next strategic plan. And now, you've launched the plan, but the name suggests it hasn't been launched yet because it says it's ready. We are ready, but we are ready to to do everything, mm-hmm. ready to lead, ready to inspire, ready to to do research. You know, that ready uh, was something that, w- when we landed on the name, really resonated with us in terms of being ready for everything. And it was one of the things that we heard throughout the consultations over the past almost year is people were saying, we want UMBC to be ready, ready for where the world is going, where society is going, and where the university can can make positive impacts on that. So it's been in the works for a year. How much of it, I almost hate to put this because it sounds like you kind of cheated a little bit, how much of ready is sort of leftovers, if you will, for the previous strategic plan, which had a thing called COVID land right in the middle of it? No, for sure. Much of, you know, who we are as an institution uh, has been the building blocks over the past 30 years that that leads us into the next phase of being ready. So mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, in terms of, of, of UMBC and building upon our successes, that is certainly there. But this is a definitely a, a stretch goal for us, this new strategic plan. When, when I sort of launched it, uh, launched the sort of the process last November, I said I wanted us to be bold, to, to really think broadly, but not lose sight of how we became an institution that sort of the, that community sort of, um, that, that community sort of foundation. And now it's the UNBC strategic plan, and a lot of people might say, okay, so that's for Prince George. It includes the all campuses, though, doesn't it? Absolutely. So when I think of, of UMBC, I don't think of Prince George. I, I've been using um, sort of UMBC has four campuses here in Prince George, mm-hmm. Quinnell, Terrace, and Fort St. John. So the, the plan it meant, is meant to and will go through all of our campuses and our community. Now, how much, how thorough were you in making sure that all, excuse me, all of those other campuses had a say in the preparations for Ready? We were very thorough in this, and so with the work of our consultants, and we had a steering group on, um, um, as part of the process, we went out to each of those communities and, uh, and campuses and, and had focus groups and talked to students, talked to staff, talked to community members, and so they were absolutely uh, part of sharing their voice. Uh, that is what I've been saying now. The voice has become the fingerprints all, all over this plan that is theirs. And I'm guessing this might be one thing where COVID, again, may have helped things a little bit because you learned how to communicate over a distance with stuff like Zoom, and that is something that you can probably put in as part of the new strategic plan ready in that you don't have to have things just in one spot. 
Absolutely. I mean, you and I had before, and I refer to it as the, the lemonade out of lemons of COVID. And one of the things that we did here um, was about having that flexibility within all of our campuses so people don't have to necessarily travel to Prince George so that we can be able to deliver, um, you know, academic programming uh, at the other campuses as well as, um, you know, making and, and having a robust communication. So that flexibility was certainly something we heard during our consultation, and that will certainly be part of informing how we move forward. Now, READY is a five-year plan, I believe? It is a five-year plan, uh, but a, a good strategic plan, in my opinion, is one that is fluid. So mm-hmm. obviously the, the building blocks and the foundation of, our, of the four themes leading up into our, our vision and mission um, are there, but we, we're always evaluating where we are, getting that feedback, making sure that the, the things that we said that we were going to do are actually happening, and, and making sure that, we, if need be, we can make tweaks and, and adapt to ensure that the, the, the strategic plan is more than just a document. It's actually something that we are actually living throughout uh, the university community. So now, what are the four main themes of READY? So the four main themes are cultivate curiosity, you know, and that really is the underpinning of what a university is, teaching, research, scholarship, and really sort of in having that sense of inquiry and in, in, within our student body and our, and our faculty to really kind of keep thinking about how we move forward. The second one is act on truth and reconciliation, and we were very intentional with the word act. We didn't want to say commit. We wanted to be act. We wanted to be uh, action-oriented, you know, with UNDRIP and and the calls to to, uh, truth and reconciliation. We wanted to make sure that we were very action-oriented on that. The third one is empowering northern communities. That really, as I said, gets back, Alan, to how this university was founded. I had the opportunity, and I'm going to slide a little bit, and I can see the silver plaques here at the Prince George campus with the 16,000 that started the petition to start the, the university. So that, that empowering northern communities really continues and will always ring true as part of the fabric of, of UMBC. And then, you know, going back to the first theme, which is cultivate curiosity, you want that 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 teaching, learning, academics, research to really go beyond Northern British Columbia and out and make those um, global impacts. So the the fourth theme is foster local solutions for global impact. Wow. And again, that sort of going back to something we were talking about a couple minutes ago, that again is something where Zoom and things like that help as well. Absolutely. You know, I think, again, I'll, I'll use that phrase of the lemonade out yes. of the lemons of COVID. I think the, the, the sort of the world has gotten a lot smaller. Uh, and that opportunity for through Zoom and through technology and, and just having better ways of, of connecting with folks will allow us to make sure that the things that we're doing here at UMBC go through to Northern British Columbia and the, and the communities of which we serve and then on to the global uh, stage itself. So now how much of the total life, shall we say, at UNBC does the strategic plan deal with? Like a lot of it is dealing with the research, the teaching, the instructions. How much of it is also dealing with things to do with how students sort of, shall we say, feel when they come to UNBC? Absolutely. You know, we want to make sure that students 
you know, when they choose UMBC, they see themselves here. They see the opportunities. They see um, us as the the beginning of their journey. And whether that's coming right from high school uh, into the university setting, or somebody that's been out in in the community working and, and said, you know what, I I want something more. I want to add to what I've been doing and coming back to a place like UMBC. So absolutely seeing themselves through the strategic plan and where we are embarking, the students definitely will will see themselves, and we want them to be part of our journey. Now, one thing that probably helped a little bit, although the timing worked out really well, was you released Ready, you said about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, last Thursday. And then in the last few days, end of last week, um, the rankings came out for, for universities. And you guys did incredibly well again. We did number two in the country for primarily uh, undergraduate institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that you know. I think, as I said, you know, with the with the news release, it really does speak to the community and how we continue to want to strive to be the best for for the people that are part of our university community, the students, the staff, and faculty in the communities we serve. So it's great for that recognition as well, because it really does as is a single to the community of what they're doing. The other thing that came out in the rankings this year was around our nursing program yes. and it being and so uh, it, it's one of those things that wasn't just ranked against the primarily undergraduate nursing program institutions that was across the board so okay. for us to come out and be recognized really speaks to the, the quality of course it's in the nursing program here with this but you know the importance of what we're doing here in academic program related to nursing as well as the research and really making a positive impact where we need it in, in a healthcare system that, that is always changing and evolving. So now, Jeff, the report is out. People have had a, a little bit of time to look at it. What's next? Like, are there any timelines in the strategic plan for things that are supposed to be done within a certain time frame, or is it fairly open? Yeah, what's next now? So we've gone out, we launched here in, in uh, on the Prince George campus last week. We've already been out in Fort St. John, uh, in Terrace, and in Quenelle next week, or the week after, I believe. Um, and so the goal now is to really... Um, people within the individual units and departments here at UMBC to see themselves in in the plan and then begin to lay out their own strategic action plans within their units as it all aligns. And so the work will be us uh, over this year. Uh, what are the goals and metrics that we want to see? Uh, evaluating those. And so it's on a year cycle. And then as we um, develop our budget and put resources towards, we want to make sure that everything we're doing is aligned and focused on the strategic plan. So as I said, it's not something you want to, hey, we've launched it and and put it on the shelf. It's got to be a living document and really guide the decisions and the investments and the future where UMBC is going, not only for five years, but right away. And so that, as you were saying then, it's one of those things where, especially as you're starting to do the budget for each year, the strategic plan definitely comes back off the shelf if it wasn't already, and you take a look and say, okay, what's coming up next year that we need to work on? 
Absolutely. Because if you think five years down the road and, and what are the things, big picture, that we want us to achieve, the decisions that we make today will influence to ensure that we are getting there five years from now. I always view it as almost like a staircase model where the things that we're doing today builds through to year one, then those things build towards year two and so on as we move to years, years five. And then beyond as we continue to, uh, I mean, the university is not going to end in five years, so as, as we continue to, to move forward. So, yes, the budget cycle is really important to ensure that if these are the things that are important that are aligned to the strategic plan, these are the investments that we have to make, or for that matter, not make if they're not aligned. So now, how firmly set is the strategic plan at this point? Like, is everything about it sort of fluid, or are there parts of it that are set in stone and will not be changed? No, the plan itself is firm, uh, mm-hmm. and and now the, the it's now taking those those themes up to our vision and mission, and making sure that the actions that we're doing today are actually uh, moving the strategic plan forward. So it is firm and ready to go. So will you be, you were saying you've been to the Prince George campus and the other three, I'll say, outlying campuses already. Are you going to continue to be going out to them over the course of the strategic plan just to bring people up to date on how the university is doing in terms of meeting the goals? Absolutely. During the course of, of my tenure uh, as, as president, I've been going out to, to the other campuses fairly regularly, like almost every three to four months, checking in, making sure not only with the, with the campus uh, and the staff and faculty and students that are there, but also with the communities themselves. We have what's, um, there used to be regional advisory council meetings out at each of the other communities and campuses, and we've re-sort of shifted that into a community engagement council, because we really want to make sure that it's, that we are out there all the time, and continuing to have people, as I said, share their voice, uh, and, and, and where they see, uh, UMBC not only wanting to go, but need to go. So those um, community engagement things will be taking place in Prince George as well then, I guess. They will be taking place in Prince George. It was one of those things where we never had them in Prince George (laughs) because we were always in Prince George and we're having those connections and we were just called them regional ones. But now we've actually uh, sort of rebranded them, if you want to use that word, into community engagement. So there will be one coming up in Prince George as well. Okay. Jeff Payne, president of University of Northern B.C., Strategic plan is not just ready, it's on the roll. It is ready to go. Ready. It is already ready moving. <laughs> okay. Jeff, thank you very much for taking the time. All right, Alan. Thanks very much. Have a great day. You too. Take a quick break and be back with more after 9. We live in a fallen world and we are fallen people. We feel this in our soul and even in our bones. We struggle with so many things. We deal with shame, guilt, our sense of identity, and we wonder if there's a point to our lives. Where's hope? Where's joy? Where's truth? Where's forgiveness? Well, there is good news, amazing news, and that news is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. This is Pastor Tim Shooten of Messiah Church in Prince George, and I invite you to join us as we host Abounding Grace Radio, Sundays at 7.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. There are so many ways ways to enjoy the great taste of Boston pizza, it's hard to keep track. You can dine in at either Prince George location, Central Street West, or Vance Road. You can order your delicious meal with pickup at either location, or arrange it to be delivered hot and fresh. Not sure what to order? Check the menu out online at bostonpizza.com. Boston Pizza, two locations in Prince George, on Central Street West and Vance Road. 
Are you a leader who wants to take their leadership to the next level? Do you have an emerging leader on your team who needs support? At Pivot Leader, our Leaders in Business program combines leadership training with one-on-one coaching to help leaders just like you. You'll learn how to deal with people better, handle conflict, hire and keep staff, delegate more effectively, read financial statements, and learn coaching skills to move your team along. There's a less stressful way to improve your outcomes. We can show you how. If you'd like to be a better leader, reach out to us today at pivotleader.com. Pivot Leader will help you grow, train, and sell your business. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today, becoming cloudy this afternoon with wind from the southeast at 20 gusting to 40, a high of 12. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers. Gusting southeast winds continuing, a low of 5, rising to 9 by morning. For Wednesday, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers early in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 16. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. So, Jen Kime, we're going to be talking about help portraits. But before we do that, I want to talk about your business, Purple Moose Portraits. Yes. Where did you come up with that name? (laughs) I know, it's a lot. Um, I always wanted to stick with something Canadian. Um, So I went... Purple moose is Canadian? Yeah, I know. Okay, Okay. so there's a whole explanation. So uh, purple is the color royalty. Mm -hmm. So I want my clients to feel heard, seen, that they're respected. Mm -hmm. You know, all these great qualities that that endures. And then moose, because we all feel awkward in front of a camera. (laughs) And moose are kind of like this awkward creature. But they're also incredible mothers. Mm -hmm. They're strong, powerful, and iconic. Yes. And then portraits, because that's what I specialize in. Yes. Well, when I first saw the name, one of my first thoughts was, okay, so she's dealing with two local, two different fraternal groups here, the Royal Order of the Purple and the Order of the Moose. Then I thought, no, that can't be right. (laughs) No. (laughs) So how long have you been in the portrait business, and how did you get started? So I've been a professional photographer in Prince George for the past nine years. Mm -hmm. I've had a studio downtown, actually just down the street from here. And uh, recently we're just moving to being a mobile studio. So Mm -hmm. you can bring the backdrops and lights and everything to Mm -hmm. people's homes. I started long ago just an interest in photography, but I was always too scared to photograph people. Mm-hmm. So I started photographing people on the street, and I remember one day I was walking home. It was minus 30 mm-hmm. outside, and there was this gentleman, and he was waiting for a cab. He was wearing a blue jacket, smoking a cigarette, ice in his beard. He had these bright blue eyes, and I walked right past him thinking he would have been incredible to photograph. Yeah. And I was like, called myself on it, went back, photographed him, and he said he was so proud of me for capturing true human beauty. Oh. And that's when I really started to delve in. I started posing for two years before I opened the studio, and yeah. Do you find do you find it easier still taking the unposed shots like that first one you were just talking about, as opposed to getting a posed shot? Where there's a lot of people, as you say, they're not comfortable in front of a camera, and if you're posing them there's a little bit still discomfort sometimes, isn't there? You might think that, but actually when you start posing people, it takes all the discomfort away. They're not worried about how they're going to look in camera. I'm posing for their body type. I'm posing for the style they like. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm giving them so much to think about for posing that they can't possibly think about being nervous in front of the camera. And then with lighting and Photoshop, they just don't have to worry about it. And the other thing they're thinking of is, okay, if anything goes wrong, it's her fault because she's telling me what to do. This isn't yeah. my idea. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's way easier. And even for like the candid shots, quote unquote, mm. um, I usually put, get people in a general pose and then make them laugh or snuggle or, or a little cues yeah. from there. And it just takes away some of that stress of like, how am I going to look in camera? So when you get somebody into or you go out to their house now, I guess, because yeah. you've got the mobile. When you go out there, how long does it usually take before you figure you're ready to start actually shooting? Because I'm thinking you don't walk in and just start shooting. You've got to take a little bit of time to get to know them, get to know what they're about, get some ideas on what kind of props to use and stuff like that. How long does it usually take? Well, usually I do a consultation before I even mm -hmm. enter their home. So okay. a consultation, some people it's 15 minutes, some people it's 45 minutes, and we're talking oh. about where they are in life, how they mm -hmm. feel about themselves, how they feel about their bodies and their family. So it kind of depends on the person photographing. And so by the time I get to their house, I already know what I'm going to do. I have a, a backdrop I know I'm going to bring. I know what furniture they have. I know where I'm setting up in the house. So then it takes 30 minutes to set up, and then we can photograph. Okay. And are there times where you've got to remind them, try to keep the pet somewhere out of the pictures unless you actually want the pet in it so that you don't have a dog or a cat suddenly go streaking through a photo just as you got everything set up? I, I'm pretty good at controlling the environment. So okay. whether it's children, cats, or dogs, you know, I tell people very clearly what we're doing. So, mm -hmm. um, like, for example, for a large family group shot with pets, let's say. Yes. So I usually pose people in a living room in groups of three, and I Photoshop them all together mm. for that full group family right. portrait. So, and then when we're introducing a pet, I get everybody posed. I say, this is where the dog's going to be. Don't worry about the dog. We're looking whichever way. And everybody look at me for a photo. Okay, now we're going to focus on the dog. And then I just Photoshop that out. It takes all the stress away. Isn't Photoshop a wonderful thing? It is. I've been doing it for 13 years. Yeah. Because I know I used to work in uh, community newspapers. Mm -hmm. And with most of them, of course, you're the reporter and the photographer. And the general rule I found, I checked this with other photographers from other papers, and they basically agreed... Anytime you're taking a picture with more than four people, the odds are at least one that's going to have their eyes closed in every single picture. Yeah. And it's not going to be the same person. It's not the same person blinking all the time, but you're never going to get all the eyes open. So you've got to accept. Yeah. And, you know, a great tip, too, is I actually have everybody close their eyes first and then mm. open them all at the same time. Okay. Yeah. And again, digital. Mm-hmm. It helps a lot because you can take 20, 30, 40 photos. Yes. Boom, 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 boom. Not have to worry about cost of film or anything like that. So. Exactly. And you can look at the back of camera and see exactly what you have right away. Yes. Which is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's, so it's like you take the 20 pictures and you're going, okay, that look. And then you look at them and you're going, okay, um, Johnny, you, you can't put the, uh, the fingers up behind your little sister's head there, okay? <laughs> Didn't notice yeah. that, but now I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just little odd things. Yes, yeah. definitely. Now, when you're doing photos, do you sometimes, after you've gotten the photo, do you sometimes let them do stuff like that, like goof around? Oh, of it? course. Yeah. yeah, that's a huge part of what I do. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's really important, especially when you're photographing children, is to make it a memorable experience so that they want to do it again. Yes. You know, so many families have kids that don't want to have photos when they're teenagers or kids, mm -hmm. right? And I think part of that is the experience they have. Now, when you're dealing with, let's say, especially teenagers, and let's say like the 13 to 15-year-olds... Mm -hmm. Do you sometimes find they are really difficult to get into the family setting and into that sort of family environment? Like, you know, they don't mind maybe having their picture taken on their own, but ask them to have a picture taken with my family? I've got to have a picture of my family? I actually find the opposite. Oh. 
they're more willing to be in a photo with their family okay. and then less than on their own. And some of that's just taking the time, just as um, I do with women and men and mm. teens, is you take your time when somebody's nervous, is set them aside, talk to them. Right. See how they want to be photographed, what they're self-conscious about, ease those worries, mm. because that's usually what it comes down to. Okay. Jen, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to shift the focus, if you will, on your photography after 9. In the morning of Tuesday, September 12th, Prince George RCMP pursued four suspects from a previous theft investigation to the Salmon Valley area where the four crossed the Salmon River on foot near Marlin Road. If you may have seen four males in the surrounding area or noticed anything suspicious on that date, please call the Prince George Detachment of the RCMP at 250-561-3300. The investigation into the theft and the escape of the suspects is ongoing. Eat healthy and fresh at Homesteader Meats, founded by Ben and Rosella Clausen in 1982. Homesteader Meats has two premium quality meat and gluten-free products, plus Wednesday is Seniors Day at Homesteader Meats. Seniors 55 and over save 10% off regular prices. Single portions are available on most items, including pierogies and sausages, and there are half-pound packages off ground beef, ground pork, stew meat, and meat pies. Everything from Erladen to Patties is at Homesteader Meats in two locations, College Heights and Park Hill Center. Learn to love your smile again at Der Denture Center. Der Denture Center offers a full range of denture services from partial dentures to complete dentures. Same-day repairs are also available. Der Denture Center is located on the third floor of the Victoria Medical Building with easy elevator access. Come in for a free complimentary consultation. No referral required. For help with your existing set or if you need new, Der Denture Center in the Victoria Medical Building. Call 250-562-6638. Are you thinking of selling your business? It's Dave Fuller here, a business coach and a business broker living right here in Prince George. The challenge of being a business owner is that much of our retirement funds are often tied up in the business. If you are getting ready to retire and sell your business, give me a call, 250-617-7467, and we can talk confidentially about how much your business might be worth and how you might be able to get that money out of the business and into your pocket. Again, Dave Fuller, 250-617-7467, or check out our website, pivotleader.com. At Pivot Leader, we help you grow, train, and and sell your business. It's after nine on Prince George's Community Station, ninety-three point one CFIS FM. So, Jem Jen Kime Purple Moose Portraits is your company, but you're also involved with a group called Help Portraits. Now, what's that all about? So, Help Portraits is really interesting. So, it was started in two thousand eight by famous photographer Jeremy Coward, okay. and initially they started as a nonprofit. But it eventually grew to the point where they decided to end it being a nonprofit because it was just became a global movement. Mm-hmm. So it's the first Saturday of December right. every year. Professionals all over the world get together. So we have our makeup artists, editors, photographers, um, people who print, people who just watch the kids while mom mm-hmm. or dad's getting their hair done, right? And they all get together on the same day, and we offer our services for free to the community. Wow. And deliver them portraits. So, now, how long has this been happening in Prince George? How long have you been involved with it, at least? So, I've been involved. Uh, this is actually only my second year being involved. Mm-hmm. Um, we took a break for COVID. Yes. <laughs> so, there was a lot of talk last year whether we'd start it again, but we just, just decided not to. So, this is our first year back since COVID. Okay. And before that, I believe it went on for four years, four okay. or five years, um, by other photographers running it. and. So who are sort of who is sort of shall we say the target audience for help portraits? 
So each year we kind of have targeted like a different area. This year I want to mm. go back to when I started, we targeted the school in the VLA area. Mm. So the families there right. can come and get a portrait for the holidays. You okay. Know? And so now how far in advance? Because you're saying first weekend, first Saturday in December. So when do you usually let them know that this is going to be happening so that they can sort of set some time aside make sure that they've got the clothes that they want to have. How long do you usually give them? Uh, usually they do give out a handout and get the gift baskets in November. Okay. So that's when we do it. And then the service itself is all drop-in. Okay. So you don't have an actual schedule that says at 10.15 the Smith family will be in. At 10.30 it'll be Robinson's. No, no. It's all drop-in. Okay. It's part of making it accessible. So it's drop-in, and when they drop in, that's when they start going through the process, like getting the hair done, getting any makeup done. Do you do you have, if somebody wants a, a costume, if you will, do you guys bring along stuff like that as well? No, we just no. give it very simple services okay. because otherwise it would take too long to yes. prep people. Okay. So we don't do any elaborate hairstyles or any elaborate mm-hmm. makeup. It takes yeah. about an hour extra for that sort of thing. Yes, I can imagine. And so when you go in, do you just take a... Is it all in the gymnasium at the school then? Or do you set up in a block of classrooms with each of your specialists in a different classroom? So this year we're actually at uh, St. Michael's Church okay. at 1505 5th Avenue. Right. And we have that rented for the day. So Okay. People can start coming up at 9.30 a.m. and it goes till 3 p.m. Wow. And so now have you guys been into the church yet to say, okay, I'm going to set up over here to take the actual photos. And the makeup person says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll work over here. Somebody else says, I'll work over here. It'll be our second time there. So they're okay. very, <laughs> very generous with giving us the space for this cause. So. Yeah. Now, how many people are involved on your end? A lot. Okay. Uh, Last I checked, I believe I was at four photographers, three makeup artists, two editors. I have a greeter and two floaters who kind of watch children or do running. Wow. And I'm looking for another hair and makeup artist. Okay. And then uh, WD West is usually involved in the printing. So the photos are taken and everything is done that same day? Yes. Yeah, wow. this year uh, I'm going to try something different where we're just going to deliver digitals to people, mm-hmm. and uh, if they would like to have prints done, they can contact us for that. Okay. Just so people don't have to come back. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because the printing is still going to take a little bit of time and everything and framing. So yeah. How large a group would be about the maximum you would want to have for something like this? Like you're saying, family photos. I'm guessing you're thinking like. So I say families, not extended families. Yeah, so I think the largest group I shot when I last did it was nine. Wow. So, and I shot them all one frame. How many of them were blinking? (laughs) Actually, did pretty good. You do the eyes closed and open, and it works out pretty good. Yeah. Now, are these, I'm guessing then these are intended to be like Christmas cards, almost. Yeah. Some people use them all year Mm -hmm. because it's not really a holiday theme backdrop or anything like that that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, So they can use them all year. But, yeah, it's intended so that they have something to give family for the holidays. Yeah. 
And so the timing is perfect for that, because even with Canada Post, there's a good chance you're going to get it to the family in time for Christmas. Yeah. So how do people get involved in Like you were saying, you've got gift baskets. So do you... Do you have people who are just going door to door in that neighborhood? So that's a de- that's something separate from me. Okay. So we're just going to be putting a flyer in the baskets. Mm. Okay. So. And then somebody else will be distributing the baskets. Yes. And then, as you were saying, it's drop in. But I'm kind of assuming, and it's a horrible thing to do, I know. Um, but there is a way people can get in touch with you if they need, if they want more information or anything. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Now, do you, you were saying you got four photographers then. So are all four of you usually going at the same time, or do you sort of rotate? No, we're all going at the same time. We all have our own lights and backdrops all set up. Wow. So that's a lot more space all of a sudden. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we can move through stuff pretty quickly. Yeah. Because you've got... Now, does each... You were saying, if I'm correctly, four photographers, three hair and makeup people at this point? Yes. Now, does each of you sort of have a hair and makeup person assigned to you, or again, do they just go wherever? Just as people come in, you know, first come, first served, and whoever gets out of hair and makeup can come and get a photograph done. Okay. Okay, so Jen Kime, if people want more information about Help Portraits, where can they get it? They can contact me via email Mm -hmm. at jen.albinati at gmail.com or they can even just give me a call or a text at 778-349-5030 and albinati is a-l-b-i-n-a-t-i correct okay jen thank you very much for coming in talking to us about purple moose portraits and help portraits thank you so much okay take a quick break be back with more after nine The Alzheimer's Society of BC's Northern Interior, Northwest and Northeast Resource Centre is located at 1811 Victoria Street. The centre is currently offering virtual support only, but can be reached by calling 250-564-7533 or toll-free at 1-866-564-7533. You can also email info.princegeorge at alzheimersbc.org. The Northern Interior, Northwest and Northeast Alzheimer's Resource Centre for those suffering from dementia across northern BC. The Seniors Resource Centre has plenty of programs and support services for those 55 plus. An affordable lunch can be delivered through Meals on Wheels, non-medical needs can be covered through Better at Home, and the Housing and Community Navigator can help locate housing and other valuable resources. Call 250-564-5888 for more information or stop by the Prince George Council Seniors Resource Center between 9 and 3, Monday through Friday at 1335th Avenue. The City of Prince George has a volunteer position available to sit on their Board of Variants. The Board considers requests from property owners to vary zoning bylaw requirements where compliance with the bylaw would create undue hardship. The Board of Variants meets as required. Applications can be submitted through the Permits and Applications link under City Services at PrinceGeorge.ca, at the Legislative Services Division on the fifth floor of City Hall, or by emailing Legislative Services at PrinceGeorge.ca. The application deadline is 
is 5 p.m. Thursday. Forecast from Environment Canada. A mix of sun and cloud today, becoming cloudy this afternoon with wind from the southeast at 20 gusting to 40, a high of 12. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a 60% chance of showers. Gusting southeast winds continuing, a low of 5, rising to 9 by morning. For Wednesday, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers early in the morning, then a mix of sun and cloud. Wind from the south at 30, gusting to 50, a high of 16. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Ken McGugan's latest book is called Searching for Franklin, but Ken, you're not actually searching for Franklin, are you? He's already been found. Well, searching for him in, in the metaphorical sense <laughs> of figuring out who he is and, uh, and what happened. What happened to him. Yeah, because a lot of people sort of recognize the name Franklin from the Franklin Expedition, but I guess you're going, from what it sounds like then, you're going deeper into that. You're saying, okay, who was the guy who led this expedition, and was there a way to know possibly from what he had done in the past that something like this could happen to him? Yes, exactly. Uh, you're right on the money there, um, because his first expedition, he led the the first, uh, the Royal Navy's first overland expedition, uh, 1819 it began and uh, we really see who he was on that expedition um, the way for example he he wouldn't listen to uh, his Dene guides an extraordinary uh, leader named Akaicho and uh, extraordinary voyageur uh, Dene and the French Canadian named Pierre Saint Germain they were telling him when he reached the Arctic coast which had been his destination they told him, look, you, you, can't, you can't go east now. It's too late in the year. The animals are retreating. There's going to be no food. Nobody's out there. You're going to die. But uh, Franklin uh, wouldn't listen. And so now, was this, his, was this the first sort of major expedition he had led, or had he led anything in the, in the past that had actually worked okay? No, 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 no. I mean, he, 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 he'd been... Um, uh, second in command on a on a sailing ship, a sailing north expedition um, up by uh, Spitsbergen, but uh, they were driven back by ice, and uh, that came to naught. Uh, and then he was appointed to this uh, overland expedition, for which, you know, in all fairness, neither he nor nor, in, nor any of the uh, British sailors he brought with him. I'd never seen anything like, you know, a Canadian North. Come on. It's, it's, it's nothing like uh, London, even in the 19th century, you know? So uh, I had no idea and uh, <laughs> paid the price. Yeah, so now when was that expedition? When was that first expedition again? 1819 to 1822. Okay. And then the second expedition, the one that he's most famous for, with the, I believe it was, what, the Terror and the Erebus were the two ships? That's right. When, yes. when was that? That was 1845. He sailed, and they were state-of-the-art ships, and uh, it was supposed to be a piece of cake. I mean, what could be so hard? Uh, oh. Sail in and uh, come down through the Canadian archipelago, and then along the coast. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, it turned out, of course, that uh, they got trapped in the ice. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, all 120 men died, including Franklin. Yes. So what was what was he doing in between? Because there's a, there's about a twenty five year gap then, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a 
He did some captaining of a ship in the Mediterranean. Okay. Um, and then his wife, uh, Jane, Jane Franklin, uh, ended up getting him a job as lieutenant governor down in, uh, well, what was then called Van Diemen's Land. Mm. It was Tasmania, mm -hmm. off the south of uh, Australia. And uh, that ended in a, in a, in a, a bit of a debacle. <laughs> so that uh, he was there for a few years in charge, and he basically returned home in disgrace, which is uh, why uh, uh, Jane Franklin again acted to uh, to get him the, the leadership of this uh, very prestigious expedition. Uh, <laughs> she, she was sorry later. So again, he so he's been in Tasmania. He's been in the Mediterranean, so let's send him up to the Canadian Arctic again. <laughs> exactly. They had some idea that uh, on that first, uh, you know, on that first expedition, uh, he, he lost eleven of twenty men. Yeah. Uh, and he ended up straggling along along the coast, narrowly surviving, eating his eating his moccasins, mm -hmm. and uh, so you know his men had, had gotten lost to starvation, cannibalism and murder on the expedition. And yet when he got home, somehow he became uh, this figure of the man who ate his boots. Everyone, you know, welcomed him as a hero. Yeah. <laughs> very, very interesting. Yeah, and so now you're in Prince George later this week, Thursday and Friday, and Thursday specifically, you're going to be speaking up at UNBC about the book Searching for Franklin, correct? That's correct. I'm going to talk about that. I'm looking. I'm really excited to. It's been many years since I've been to Prince George. Okay. Uh, I was only there briefly. Yeah. But I'm uh, very excited to 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 get back. Um, yeah. So I'll do I'll do searching for Franklin on the Thursday night, and then on, on the Friday night, um, I've shifted it just a bit. I'm going to talk about um, let's let's make history exciting again, because I think. Uh, History is losing a lot of ground in our schools and universities. Yeah, now, so, it, uh, it, it, it's something that I think is called creative nonfiction, is what a lot of people call it, correct? Yeah, well, that's uh, I've been teaching creative nonfiction for, for well, almost 20 years now. Wow. And it's basically uh, taking techniques and um, uh, techniques that you find in almost every other genre, mm -hmm. mainly fiction, you see it in movies, you see, you know, intertwined storylines. You see shifting points of view. See, that's part of the problem. I mean, as a writer, the only thing I can do is change the way uh, for myself uh, history is being written. So I want to, I want to liven it up a bit because you know the, uh, you know, the criticism is oh, so boring. Well, you know, it's all very straightforward, very chronological, very dry. Uh, you know, so. I mean, I think let's uh, let's do our bit and uh, bring it to life a little bit more. Now, I know one of the, yes, you could say, more famous pieces of creative nonfiction, and a lot, there's disagreement over whether or not it was the very first one, Truman Capote in Cold Blood. Yes, yes. yes so that was, uh, that people looking back uh, say, uh, you know, regard that as arguably the earliest, uh, earliest work. But yeah, he... Um, you know, he he, he he got into the minds of, of the people involved. He wasn't there. He didn't eyewitness everything. Now, it's also true that since then, I mean, people have established guardrails for what you can and can't do mm -hmm. uh, in creative nonfiction. Like, basically, you're, you're, telling, you're telling true stories, uh, but you're, you know, 
trying to bring a little more uh, excitement. Okay, you know, the movies, you take something like Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's excitingly told, quite apart from the story itself. You know, you're moving around from place to place. There's no reason in the world history can't be written that way. And how much of history, no matter how you look at it, is creative nonfiction anyways? Because people are always saying, so-and-so was thinking this as he entered the room. Well, you can't know that. No, and I don't do that. No. That's, a, that's something that uh, I, I avoid in my writing. You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can use, if you need to, you can use a technique called, uh, what I call, in, implied stream of consciousness. Okay. But you don't ever say, in other words, you know generally, for example, you might know what that individual is thinking at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you can recreate that without doing precisely the kind of thing uh, you're indicating there. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I mean about the guardrails. Okay. No, that's, that's not acceptable. And so now, books like Searching for Franklin and other histories that you've written, are they, would you consider them creative nonfiction? Yes, I, I consider this my, uh, my, my, my most highly developed example. Mm. I've been working away at this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing is, okay, uh, one of the hallmarks of creative nonfiction is personal presence. And actually, you know, here in Canada, we can look back at someone like Barney Mowat. Mm. He put, uh, you know, he wrote what he called subjective nonfiction. So if you put Mowat together with Burton and Newman and, uh, they, you know, and, and stir all that up, you can end up with, uh, uh, you know, a, Canadian, a historical narrative written in a uh, creative nonfiction uh, style. Okay. So now, what was your first encounter with what you now realize was creative nonfiction? Well, um... Yeah, I mean, obviously I read uh, Truman Capote a long time mm-hmm. ago. It evolved, uh, well, I guess it really started with my with the first of my six Arctic books, Fatal Passage, just in terms of, um, well, as I say, personal presence. I wrote a long uh, epilogue to that book, um, uh, describing how I ended up coming, going up to the Arctic and, and setting a plaque there where John Ray had discovered the... Uh, final link in the first navigable Northwest Passage. So inserting that kind of personal presence mm. into the book, that, that's where it began in my own work. Okay. Ken McGugan again at UNBC Canfor Theatre Thursday night speaking about your latest book, Searching for Franklin, and Friday talking about creative nonfiction and what the guardrails are on it. Is that correct? More or less, that'll do, as long as it brings people out. Okay. Ken, thank you very much for taking the time. Well, thank you so much for interviewing me. Thanks. I appreciate it. No problem. Take a quick break and be back with more after 9. The Crisis Center for Northern BC is presenting a Safe Talk Suicide Prevention Workshop November 4th at your Prince George Public Library. Learn how to prevent suicide by recognizing signs, engaging someone, and connecting them to intervention resources. This is a free workshop for people ages 15 and older, but registration is limited. To register, call the library at 250-563-9251. 
Safe Talk, a suicide prevention workshop November 4th from 1 to 4 at your Prince George Public Library. If you're between the ages of 10 and 18 and looking to join others your age for some fun, the Nachackle branch of the Public Library is the place to be every second Tuesday. It's tens to teens, and it's a chance for kids in that age group to get together for games, activities, and more. It's a free drop-in event from 3.30 to 4.15. That's tens to teens for ages 10 to 18. The next tens to teens is Tuesday, October 24th from 3.30 to 4.15 at the Nachackle branch of your Prince George Public Library. There's plenty happening at the Heart Pioneer Center right through fall. Dance to the music of B-Side October 28th during the Oktoberfest Dinner and Dance. Take in the annual Craft Fair and Bake Sale November 4th and enjoy the next Roast Beef Dinner on November 19th. You're also encouraged to attend the general meeting at 1.30 Thursday, November 23rd. For event tickets and more information, call the Heart Pioneer Center at 250-962-6712. The Heart Pioneer Center, keeping you involved in the heart. The Prince George Council of Seniors is coordinating the United Way's Better at Home program. If you are 55 plus and could use help with grocery shopping or some light housekeeping, contact the Prince George Council of Seniors Better at Home coordinator at 250-564-5888 to see if you qualify for these services. It's all designed to help seniors remain independent. Better at Home from the United Way and your Prince George Council of Seniors. Call 250-564-5888. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Now, Good Sir Nature Park has an awful lot of plants in it from all around Canada, but... Jim Good on the phone with me now, and Jim, this weekend, you're bringing a snake into the garden. Yes, uh, hello. Um, yeah, this, uh, my name's Jim Good from Good Sir Nature Park, and uh, Roxy, the snake, who got started in uh, Cottonwood Island Park, has now been donated to her forever home out here at Good Sir Nature Park. Now, we should let people know in this case, when we say Roxy the Rock Snake, Rock Snake is not a specific variety of snake. Roxy is a snake that is made out of rocks, correct? Yes, that is correct. There are hundreds and hundreds of rocks. They're all hand-painted. Uh, um, many of them look like they've been painted by children, and uh, there's a wonderful story behind it. So now, what is the story? As I understand it, it was started by a woman who saw a similar uh, snake somewhere else and thought, yeah, I want to do that in Prince George. Um, it was started by Sharon Yawn, um, and uh, in memory of her son Jeremy, who did uh, a lot, a lot of good things for Prince George. He brought smiles and laughter to both young and old alike. And so now, as I understand it, he he was diagnosed with cancer. So his mom Sharon working with him to some extent, started the rock snake, and it's just grown from there with everybody contributing. Yes. Uh, um, Roxy had reached over, I think, 1,053 feet in length at, uh, um, at Cottonwood Island, and it's going to be donated, well, it's been donated, it's going into a prime spot, at uh, the Mile Zero Post, which is a five-minute walk-in in Good Sir Nature Park. So now, how long, when did you, um, how long has this been in the works for it to come up to you? 
I'm not really sure. Uh, of, I, it was started around the middle of, I think, June, June 22nd, mm-hmm. she said, it had, uh, with the painting of his head and, I guess, the first few rocks, and then it took off from there. And now, when did, when did, when did was the decision made, I guess, that it was going to have to move, and how did Good Sir Nature Park get involved? Well, I'm not really sure how how um, how it got involved to be to be taken out here, but I do know one thing. I've I've heard enough of the story that I am honoring Sharon Yon and in in, in memory of her late son Jeremy, because uh, it's a wonderful thing he's done. And um, Goodson Nature Park is very very vibrant in the community and. It has something that no one, no other park in Canada has, and uh, I'm the. I want to keep it going as long as my health will let me. And so now, I believe it's this weekend is when the big move happens, and you can't do this on your own, can you, Jim? Um, I'm providing refreshments, uh, just light refreshments. I need volunteers. I have, uh, I have the equipment, but I need the manpower to come out here. And if I get enough people out here to get Roxy down in place, there has to be a little bit of gravel put down uh, as well. And um, um, and I've got two tractor trailers, about six or seven wheelbarrows. If I can form an assembly line of people over next Saturday and Sunday to do this, this would be just phenomenal. I'd like to get it totally completed. I heard there's going to be colder weather coming mm. next week. Yes, we don't want to. We don't want to talk about that. But I will mention that the uh, long-range forecast today is saying flurries on Monday. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you arranging? Have you got people already set up to bring Roxy out from Cottonwood to Goodsir Nature Park? Yes, the Roxy arrived here wow. about. Oh, a week and a half, two weeks back. Um, the rocks are all piled. They're in a straight row in the lower end of the driveway, and I've already made the sign about Roxy the snake, giving a little bit of detail of uh, what it is and where it, and, and what it means and all that sort of stuff. Now, I'm going to take a wild guess and say, obviously, the head of the snake will be the same as what it is down at Cottonwood, but after that, there's no way that you could have gone through every single one of those rocks and said, okay, this is rock number 462. No, it's probably a thousand, I'm only guessing, mostly smaller rocks, mm-hmm. rounded rocks, no jagged edge rocks. No. And they've all been hand-painted, and I'd say there's probably, give or take, a thousand or more rocks. Um, and, um, and they can be easily loaded into a wheelbarrow, five-minute Five minutes down the trail, and and same with the gravel, and uh, it's level ground. In fact, it's very slightly downhill in going to mile zero. So when when the wheelbarrows are full, you're going downhill. When they're empty, is when you're coming back uphill. Yeah, it's very slight. Basically, it's it's level ground. There's no up, there's certainly no uphill pushing with a wheelbarrow load of gravel or rock. So now, what time frame are you looking at? You were saying Saturday and Sunday. Do you have times when you would like to have people maybe start to show up? Um, as soon as people can start coming out here. I don't have a, an actual time frame, but I'm going to be here overseeing this uh, both Saturday and Sunday. 
Um, and um, people want to come about, oh, I don't know, 7.38 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and stay, uh, just do what you can. I, I'm not asking people to, to come out here and uh, do more than what they should. But if I get enough people out here and... Um, I'm pretty. I'm pretty confident it will get done. My health is not good, no. and I'm relying on on volunteers. And it's my goal to get it finished. Before, I guess before Monday then. Yeah. So now I guess the other thing is people can come out. They can volunteer for a couple of hours to help with Roxy, and then if they want to take a bit of a break, they can just walk through Good Sir Nature Park. Yes, I encourage that. So any of my volunteers come out here. You're not out here on a paid job. If you want to take a break, check out the trails. Good Sir offers something. It, it represents all the forest regions of Canada. There are two museums, the Good Sir Botanical Museum and the J.L. Good Bio Museum, and the park actually has its own radio station, too. So now will you be playing that radio station over the airwaves out at the park this weekend? Yes, it's on, it's on a 2XL closed circuit. It's going to be on people to listen to when they come out. It's um, uh, it's a 2,500-watt sound system powering over 100 speakers throughout the uh, the park entrance, the museums, and the log house, too. Wow. That's my own radio productions. Yeah. So, Jim, if people want more information or they want to let you know that maybe they're going to be coming out and bringing a bit of a group for this, how can they get in touch with you just to check on things? Okay, you can only get a hold of me... Uh, actually, two ways, but uh, uh, mainly it's just call me. I don't have a computer at mm-hmm. all or a cell phone. Call and leave a message. If I, I'll be here, but I might be outside. Uh, the number is 250-971-2337, and that's Good Sir Nature Park. My name is Jim Good, and the park is located... In Salmon Valley, you you go over the Salmon River Bridge, start up the hill, you'll see my sign. First left past the bridge, that's Old Summit Lake Road North, and the park is three miles or five clicks down. Perfect. Jim, thank you very much for taking the time to tell us what's happening this weekend. Okay, thank you. And oh, one more thing, the park entry, uh, this doesn't include volunteers. The park, uh, for the general public, it's... It's open to the general public, and it's by donation, and it's non-profit. Sounds great. Okay, thanks, Jim. Okay, thank you. That'll do it for today's show. Kylie and Darren on tomorrow, After 9. After 9 is a weekday presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Eric Allen, Kylie Lewis-Holt, Darren Guess, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Theme music is by The Ebbs. Listen for a rebroadcast of today's program tonight at 10. And for past shows, check out the archives link at CFISFM.com. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. This is 93.1 CFISFM in Prince George. Proudly supported by local professionals like Realtor Tab Baker. Call 250-613-1755.